Today on the Free Willed and Fired Up podcast, we're going to talk about a central virtue that is necessary for a relationship, family, church, and society to survive and thrive as God intended. A thing holy people dream of finding in another and a thing that unrighteous sinners can't stand. A thing our culture has been seriously deprived of and is dying without. That thing is commitment. And this will be the first of many podcasts on this topic, so here we go. When I think of actual commitment in all its beauty and maturity... One of the best examples I've come across in the Bible that expresses it is from Ruth 1, verse 16 through 17, where it states, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Count yourself blessed if you have a man or a woman in your life that is even a quarter as holy, godly, humble, and committed as Ruth was here. You don't get this anymore these days. Society doesn't teach men and women to feel this way about their partners. There's no appealing to God's love and wrath to secure an eternal bond between a man and a woman today. There isn't the kind of understanding of actual commitment and an actual believing of the words until death do us part today. Feminists probably shriek at what Ruth said. Our culture today couldn't be further from producing this kind of view of relationships. Now why is that? Why don't we have actual legitimate fulfilling relationships in marriages anymore? Well, I'm just going to come right out and say it. There's no such thing as as commitment without God. Not real commitment anyway. Not that type of real commitment that actually lasts, that is actually rooted in something beyond the flesh that is actually fulfilling eternally, and that can actually weather all storms, that is directed at the actual betterment of another, that is actually respectful of the value of another, that is actually selfless, that is actually loving, and that is actually moral. Notice the repetitive use of the word actual in there. That's on purpose. That's because there has been an awful lot of false advertising by shady competitors to undermine and rip off the real deal for those who are ignorant and cheap. Like everything else in life, more often than not, you end up sorely disappointed with the cheaper model and end up a few dollars poorer than you were to begin with, and you'll likely end up getting the actual legitimate product anyway if you haven't given up on the whole idea by then. Same thing applies to worldly commitment, quote-unquote, and actual legitimate godly commitment. Here's a fun analogy for you. Like all good things, actual commitment is a package deal. The actual product you pay for is God. When you buy into God, you buy into what Galatians 5.22 calls actual love, actual peace, actual kindness, actual goodness, actual gentleness, actual self-control, actual patience, and actual joy. You don't have actual commitment without these things. Therefore, since God is the only one who can give you those things, you therefore can't have actual commitment without God. So wait a second. There's a fee? I have to buy something? How do I pay for something like that? Well, the answer is not by worldly things, but rather grace. All right, by rather things of the Spirit. You pay through faith by grace. God markets himself to all and covers all upfront and installation costs for those who accept his products and services. The product comes pre-made, so no assembly is required or possible from customers. You are responsible for covering the costs of regular maintenance, and God will actually throw in an added bonus guarantee where he will come out every now and again for routine checkups on your use of his services and the experience you're having with it. 
He even gives you free upgrade packages from time to time. So wait, you might be asking. So is this a one-time payment deal or something else? So God is actually a subscription purchase. Faith must be continually observed, repentance repeatedly made, and fearful humility can constantly shown for your godly uh, package. Refusal to pay for a significant period of time revokes your access to the other features that you enjoyed through your God services. Tinkering, attempting to rewire, or otherwise modify the godly services package will result in temporary suspension or revoking of said services as well. Your benefits and services through God will restart when you repent and continue in good standing and faithfulness. One of the premier apps that come with the God package is Commitment. However, in order to get the most out of your Commitment app, you'll need to take the time to activate a few virus protections, firewalls, and other necessary updates to, that are known as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Now don't worry, these are already installed. All you have to do is turn them on in the settings on the home screen of the God program. And we highly recommend that you take the time to activate these services or also use of the commitment app may be exposed to harmful viruses, glitches, and crashes. Update these protection services when indicated by God to ensure that the app runs as originally intended. <laughs> okay, all right, I may have gone a little overboard with that analogy, but it's not half bad, really, for something I just came up with on the spot. You even got a little bit of a salvation talk in there. More on that another time, however. Point is, there's a lot more that goes into commitment than what we initially assume in our sinful, fallen, immature minds. We think we know what it is to actually be committed without God, but that's wishful thinking and self-delusion. God is the cornerstone of all things good, moral, true, and loving. Without God, everything we could ever hope to accomplish or make is incomplete and corrupted outright. What semblance we get of love and commitment as sinners is nothing more than a temporary and fleeting effect of God's common grace given to mankind. The problem is, we're so ignorant in our sin that we think the free sample of God's working in our lives is one, the best we're going to get, two, not from God but from our own doing, three, going to last. All three are absolutely and fundamentally wrong and misguided. The real reason and purpose of this taste of real commitment in an otherwise false and corrupted relationship is succinctly laid out in Romans 2 verse 4 where it states, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The free sample is supposed to lead people, sinners, to be drawn to God, to repentance, to accept Him, to be led by Him, and therefore be given the actual size complete product. Before one starts out on an argument that God would be better off doing more or less than a sample to achieve His goal of drawing people to Him, let's consider the following. Number one, why doesn't He just give the full commitment deal to sinners? Wouldn't that motivate them to love Him more? Well, no, actually, because you'd still have the case of misplaced confidence by sinners, like with a sample, but multiplied exponentially since there'd be little desire to follow through in order to get the same thing you're already getting without the added burden of commitment. Kind of like the way we view uh, sexual acts before marriage or in our culture today. Why buy the cow when you can milk it for free? And why tend to just one cow when you have free access to every cow? Okay, I think you get the point. In rewarding sinners too much, you run the risk of convincing them that their sinful state is actually a good and rewarding thing. So that's got to be out. Number two, why doesn't he just get rid of all common grace? 
Why not let people see the true depths of their own depravity? That'd draw them to God for sure, wouldn't it? Well, not quite. Chances are we'd be so bent on sinning, debauchery, hedonism, and self-destruction that we'd never actually make it even close to experiencing even just the sample of true love and commitment before dying in a fire of our own creation along the way. Left to our own devices, there'd be absolutely zero hope of us being able to be righteous and holy enough to let the fruits of the Spirit and commitment do what it must for our families and society to survive. So that's absolutely not a good idea. Point number three, the only other option is common grace that serves as a taste. Not too much to make people complacent, but not too little to make people incapable of adequately doing good long enough for repentance and commitment to happen at all. See, trust in God. There's nothing we can come up with that he hasn't already known. There is no solution that we can devise that he hasn't already created. So take what you can get and make the most of it like he commands and use the time and means afforded to you to make it right with God. So that brings us back to considering how commitment and all the elements of a relationship that go into it isn't really commitment without God. Hey, point number one I want to make is, can anyone actually deny that real commitment cannot exist without two people being able to show the fruits of the Spirit? That being love, joy, patience, self-control, peace, kindness, goodness towards uh, each other and with one another? That was a rhetorical question. Of course you can't have real commitment without each and every one of those things being in place. Stop deluding yourself. The sooner you admit the truth, the sooner you can start making a real and positive change through God. And where we personally fall short with each other, we are to excel in our commitment to Him. And if we should be in Christ, He shall fulfill the rest, so that the relationship may survive and thrive in spite of our flaws. This idea of committing oneself to God first and foremost for commitment to other human beings to work out can be found in Proverbs 16, verse 3, and Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 7, where it states, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. If man cannot commit themselves to God first and foremost in their lives, then they will never be able to enact real commitment with another. Without God, there is no real commitment to another human being. Talk of relationships and commitment naturally leads to discussions about marriage because God intended for relationships to be goal-directed to marriage, and only marriage by His standards. If you are in a relationship and are not entering into such a thing with the full intention of marriage, then I honestly don't know what you're doing with your life. And if your relationship isn't with whom God commanded it to be with and in the way God commanded it to be entered into, then don't be surprised if it brings about ruin, frustration, and damnation. Relationships, commitment, and marriage are not to be taken lightly. All right, try to take what God has made for His purposes. All right, and if you should take that which God gave us for His purposes and think that we have the authority to take what is rightfully his and to remake it into something in our own fallen sinful image, well, number one, that's not real commitment. Number two, that's not a real relationship. Number three, it's not real love. Number four, it's not a real marriage. And five, it's not going to be for the purpose and with the fruit that God intended it to be for and to produce for his glory. 
If marriage is an institution from man created by God, whereby a husband and wife abide in each other for God's purposes to be fulfilled through them, then it makes perfect sense to look to God for guidance, to look to God for the standards to have, to look to God for how to make the relationship last. Marriage between one man and one woman is the ultimate and rightful expression of a committed relationship before God. But how many of us think that marriage is just between the man and the woman? Do we not know that marriage was created by God to have God be an active third member of the union? Do we not know that while the man is the head of his wife, that Christ is the head of the man? Have you forgotten in Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33, where it states, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands and unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they in the two shall be made into one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband." Notice that in the case for both men and women, each must approach God and Christ first in order for them to properly fulfill their duties and capabilities as partners in a committed relationship, bent on actually lasting and actually being good for those in it. We do not author the ways and workings of commitment for, from in a relationship. God has already done that. It is irrevocable. You can refuse it, but you cannot change it or the consequences of not following it. What men and women and only men and women are expected to do in an actual committed, loving, and holy relationship has already been communicated. Each serve a role with God in completing the puzzle that is a marriage, the ultimate form of commitment. Feminists today may frown at the idea that men and women were designed for distinct roles to play in relationships, but this is misguided. It is perfectly fine for men and women to play different roles while still being equal in value each being made equally in the image of God. What happened to appreciating women for being uniquely female and feminine by God's standard? What happened to appreciating men for being uniquely male and masculine by God's standard? By saying there is no distinction or difference in any way between the roles that men and women are by our nature and biology clearly designed for, is not only to spit in the face of psychology and biology, but also in the face of God who created us this way for this purpose. Any man or woman not willing to commit in the way that God commands and designed us for, therefore cannot be legitimately committed because they have rejected God, the cornerstone of any successful and legitimate relationship. Feminists, and perhaps you, may not want anyone, even God, to tell you how you should be. Well, if that's the case, then I don't think you can rightfully consider yourself to be a Christian. You're rebelling against God in trying to define yourself by your own standards. 
You are seeking to assert your throne above that of God's in your life. Such is idolatrous and blasphemous. And such thoughts and actions haven't gone unnoticed by him. Consider this, though. God says you are either a slave to him or a slave to sin. No one is completely free and independent of any master in life. That's why he tells you to choose which one you will serve in Matthew 6, verse 24, and Luke 16, verse 13. You will serve one. There is no disagreeing with that. God knows everything, especially the things we delude ourselves into ignoring or denying. So use your free will to choose wisely as you were meant to. God gives the fruits of the Spirit. Sin gives the fruits of death, chaos, destruction, and so on. The fruits of sin might have an initial sweetness to them, but that sweetness soon turns to bitterness beyond imagination with no way to wash out the taste. So you can choose to have your relationship by your own terms, but just no actual commitment will not be found there, and God's blessing will not be placed on that abominable union. Let me go into further detail about the necessity of keeping God and the Spirit central if actual commitment is to be formed and maintained for men and women. For women, submission requires self-control, love, kindness, peace, patience, faithfulness, and gentleness. Reverence and honor requires love, kindness, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And for men, sacrifice requires love, patience, kindness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And love requires patience, self-control, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and joy. Without the fruits of the Spirit, without the working of God in you and your partner, then you cannot do any of the things that specifically men and women are commanded to fulfill for the other in the manner and degree that is needed. If the man or woman in your life should be lost and confused about what to do to make the relationship work, then turn them to God. God will clarify, God will direct, and God will ensure the fulfillment of their end of the commitment deal. I want to end this discussion today on commitment by giving a more uh, by giving more praise and honor to the cornerstone of actual legitimate commitment, that being God. For those who, after hearing these many ramblings on commitment, still ask, what's God got to do with it? You might as well be asking, what's love got to do with it? Okay, sorry, I couldn't help myself with the cheesy reference, but all joking aside, it's no joke that asking what God has to do with commitment is the exact same thing as asking, what's love got to do with commitment? The answer is that God is love according to 1 John 4, verse 8. The two are one and the same. No God, no love. You can have lust, but you can't have love. Sadly for the sinners, lust is not one of the requirements for actual legitimate commitment. God being love and love being a key requirement for commitment is further revealed to be inseparably linked in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8, where it states, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves, and it always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. There is not a single detail described anywhere in there that does not directly pertain and describe an actual and legitimate committed relationship as expressed in marriage with a man and a woman fulfilling their roles and being fully submitted to God in duty to one another for his glory. How can anyone not see the beauty, 
genius and consistency in God's character and plan for man written all over his workings in us and through us. Follow me further. So if God is love and love is necessary for actual commitment, and if we are to look to God before all things in a committed relationship, and if love and God is described with the same characteristics uh, that are necessary for actual commitment in marriage, then it wouldn't take someone much longer before they follow the rationale to the conclusion that maybe, just maybe, marriage isn't just about a man and a woman agreeing to be together before God. But more than that, marriage and commitment are supposed to be a direct reflection, a symbolic representation of God in the world. That we in Him and actual commitment truly get to reflect the full majesty of His image in us, which He created us to bear before Him and the world. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Free Willed and Fired Up podcast. If you'd like to see myself or Pastor Randy in person, then please come join us at Rejoice Fellowship Baptist Church in Aiken, South Carolina, every Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to have you. Feel free to like and follow our Facebook page, and be sure to send in your comments on how we can improve your podcast experience with us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.